The scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're in the Sermon on the Mount And just kind of a little reminder here, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reveals elements of what it's like to be part of the kingdom of God. If you want to know how the people of God are meant to sort of exhibit the love of Christ, the the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is laying that out. People even call it a kingdom ethic. It's an ethic of the kind of people God is calling us to be. And so Jesus is revealing these things, and what's different about it is up to this point, and we'll talk about this, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the super-religious folks, basically thought that to really access the heart of God, you've got to be a certain kind of person. You've got to obey the law in a certain way. You've got to do these things. And if you don't measure up, we see it, and God certainly does. And so you have to kind of keep your act together. And and they're taking, you know, we'll get into this, but um, Jesus goes up onto the, the mountain, and he's actually saying, look, Moses received the law, and I'm going to interpret it for you. I am the fulfillment of the law. It's true, the law tells us what we're meant for, but more so, what I'm telling you tells you why God loves you so much. And what Jesus is revealing is what it's like to live a life that is centered on the love of the Father. A life that as we center on who God is, it leads to joy, it leads to hope, it leads to compassion, it leads to mercy, it leads to beautiful things, it leads to life. And part of what Jesus is doing is he's establishing the authority of what he's saying, the authority of the Scriptures. People are suspicious of Jesus because he's reinterpreting things. You know, they've been reading the Scriptures for generations and generations, and Jesus comes up and says, actually, I am going to tell you something that's actually in the Older Testament that you've missed, and I am the fulfillment of all of these promises that you've seen. The question that Jesus is, is addressing is something that whether you're a Christian or not, it's a, it's a question you ask. What can I trust? What's the authority that I can really trust? Plato, in like the 4th century B.C., said this. The best way to make it through life, this is not quite his language, to discover the most reliable human opinions is this. It's to find opinions that will be like a raft upon which you sail through life, not without risk unless you can find some word of God which will more surely and safely carry you. Now, I read that to you not to impress you with who Plato is, because I haven't really read much of that. I say it to say that forever, men and women have asked the question, what can I really trust? Like, is there something that's able to help me sail through life? And Jesus is saying that there is. That there's an authority that he brings that brings life. So what we're going to do in the next 22 minutes, is talk about 
the reality of authority, the purpose of authority, and then how our faith engages with authority, okay? Let's start with the reality of authority. When you hear the word authority, what do you think of? Usually when we hear the word authority, we think of who's in charge, right? Who's got the last word? Uh, maybe in your marriage, you're like, okay, who's got the authority in this marriage? You know, who, who submits to who? If you're both not submitting, you know, 100%, you're probably not doing it right. Like, the, our marriages require us to say, power can't be the thing that brings peace in our marriage. So what does it mean for Jesus to have authority? Is it just about who's in charge? What Jesus does here is he sort of changes our understanding in some ways of what it really means for him to have authority. Because the Pharisees, in a later passage, ask him this, okay, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? You know what Jesus doesn't say? That God is powerful. That's not what he says. What's he say? Well, the greatest commandment is to love God, and the second is like it, to love one another. What if God's authority over us reveals a kind of love that makes sense of everything else? And Jesus is showing that here. He's saying it's not enough just to be powerful. It's not enough just to obey the law. Like there's an authority that's more than power. There's an authority that's driven by love that I want you to have access to, that I want you to understand, that I want you to tap into. It's not just about who's in charge. It's not a power question in and of itself of who's in control. It's a question about what about the authority that God has that is wrapped up, defined by, expressed in his deep love for us. Yes, he's in control. Yes, God is powerful. He made all things by the word of his power. That, you know, his muscles are huge. You know, it's not, it's not about that. The kind of authority Jesus is bringing to the people here is saying, I have the kind of authority that is going to make you experience love to such a degree that it brings life into your soul. It's going to renew you. He has a very high view of the Bible, Jesus does. Think about the authority of the Bible from Jesus' perspective. This is verse 17. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. People in the day are hearing Jesus talk about the Bible, and they're like, wait a minute, that's not what the Bible says. That, you're undermining the law. You're taking away some of the things we thought were really important, like you have to wash your hands a certain amount of times in order to really be clean. You can only eat on these days. You've got to prepare your food on this day. Like, if you're not doing these things, Jesus, we can't even begin the conversation. And so Jesus says, okay, let me clarify things for you. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. When you think about who Jesus is in the life of the scriptures, who is he? Does he come, you know, is it one message in the Older Testament and one in the Newer Testament? Does he come in to, to take the law and say, ah, oh, it's not important. These things don't matter anymore. He says, no, I have not come to abolish a single thing in the scriptures. I've not come to dismantle them. I've not come to destroy them. They are trustworthy. Jesus is telling us that the word of God as given to us is something we can bank on. It's something we can rely on. It's something we can center on. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Jesus himself, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. What Jesus is doing, he's saying, is I'm not taking anything away from God's word because it has authority, because it's trustworthy, because it's true. And not only is it true, it's coming true. And that's where, that's where he goes on and says, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, to complete them. You know, as Christians, 
you know, especially being reformed, like in our little circles, we have these things called the solas of the faith, you know, the solas of the Reformation. You know, Christ alone, he's central to us. Faith alone, it's central to us. Grace alone, it's central to us. God's glory alone is central to us. Scripture alone is authoritative for us. We don't pick and choose it. You know, I just went and celebrated my mother-in-law's um, birthday, and there was all this food out there. And I just kind of kind of pick and choose what I want. You know, I just I I don't eat shellfish, so I didn't want the shrimp, but I did like the the little uh, tomatoes and cheese and stuff. I was like, oh, I'll try some of that, whatever. That's not how we look at God's word. The whole of His word is His truth that He's given to us that has authority over us. Yes, it has power, but it's really about His love. I have not come to take away anything from the Scriptures. In other words, this is an authority, this is a word that is for you in the 21st century, sitting right here in the Woodlands, Texas. God has given His Word, His revelation, for you to have. You know, Jesus is emphasizing the importance of that. Listen to verse 19. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying this is the starting point. You'll notice at Grace, like especially if you're new here, you have read a lot of Scripture this morning in our worship service. It's been in our prayers, it's in our call to worship, it's in our confession of faith. Like We are constantly reading the Scriptures because they have an authority of God's love over us to direct us. Nothing can be taken away from it if we really want to access the kind of kingdom things he's talking about here. So the question for you is, is the Bible authoritative for you? Now again, especially these Reformed folks, Scripture alone. Yes, I believe God's Scripture has authority over me. Yes, he loves me, and he's delivered these things so that I can know his ways. That's true. But then why do I sin? Why every single week do we have a confession of sin in the bulletin? Like every single week we have an opportunity for you to acknowledge your sin in the bulletin. Why? Because though we know it's true, there are times we do not live as if it's true. Though we know that God is faithful, there are times we don't believe he's faithful. Though we know it's best, as Jesus says, to love the Father and to love one another, there are times where I just really want to love myself. Because I actually think it's better. And Jesus is saying, listen, this is authoritative for you. Trust this even above your own heart. So as Christians, we're saying, yes, we center ourselves on the Scriptures. Okay, what if you're not a Christian? Or what if you have people in your life who don't love Jesus? And they're like, eh, the Bible's good for inspiration. It's really not. It's really not good for inspiration. There are some good things in it. <clears throat> but if you try to take this as inspiration and you think, okay, I need to, I, I, what, what do you do with that? You can't die like Jesus did unless you're just hoping you'll accidentally resurrect or something. Like, what Jesus does is entirely unique. If you're not a Christian and the Bible's not your authority, what is your authority? We all submit to it. What's your authority? Maybe it's a person. You know, I've got a friend. He's a huge fan of this one author. And so much so, it's a philosophy guy. So much so that anytime we have a discussion about God or Jesus or anything, he always quotes this guy, like always. And I'm like, dude, I can appreciate the fullness of your knowledge about this person's perspective, but why do you trust him above this? Like, why are you choosing to trust that authority above this one? As Christians, we do it. We trust the authority of the Bible because Jesus loves us so much and says this is the way that leads to life. But what authority are you trusting? I mean, maybe you're trusting the authority of your own ability to interpret the world around you. You know, the spirit of the age, the zeitgeist, right? Your best opinion. 
Well, I'm 45, and the amount of times my opinion has changed in the past 45 years makes me very unsure of really trusting myself on all things all the time. Have you ever been wrong before? What if you were wrong about something that really mattered? What if God's Word isn't wrong about anything? What if God has given us His Word to direct our steps, even in the complicated, difficult spaces? We live in a very confusing world. The question is not, is there an authority over you? The question is only, what authority do you submit to? Does it bring life to you? Martin Luther, one of the reformers, said this, a man's word is a little sound. It flies into the air, it's gone in a second, but the word of God is greater than heaven and earth, indeed greater than heaven and hell. For it forms part of the power of God, and it endures everlastingly. What words in your life endure ever? <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> My water's so close. She's right there. What, what word endures everlastingly in your life? God offers His word to us as something that endures, something that was incredibly significant to the people who heard Jesus say these things and incredibly significant to us so much later that His word is authoritative to not set aside His commands, but actually to live into them. Reality of authority is true. What's the authority you submit to? Consider this. The purpose of the authority, or the purpose of the Scriptures in that. Jesus is giving us the Scripture, speaking these things, and they're meant to come into our hearts, and they're meant to begin to transform us. What's the aim of it? Well, Jesus tells us that He comes and He offers, He fulfills the law. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. He's saying, look, to take the Scriptures as seriously as I do means you understand that I am saying that everything that's said here is being fulfilled in me. It's not just a bunch of stories, although there are some really crazy stories. If you've never read all the Older Testament, there are some wild stories in there. Jesus is saying it's not just a gathering of stories. This is actually a story that's pointing to the ultimate story of who I am. You could say it this way. You can't really understand what the Older Testament's about without understanding who Jesus is. It looks forward to Jesus. The entire Older Testament, our sermon series last semester, Jesus and the Minor Prophets, looking forward to who Jesus is. And in the Newer Testament, we see Jesus reveal himself and then his kingdom play out. And the more you understand who Jesus is, the more sense the Older Testament makes. Now, I don't know if you're a movie buff. I'm really not a movie buff. But there are certain movies, I think it's safe to say I've watched 20 to 30 times. There's certain films that I've watched so much that as a kid I wore out VHS tapes on those movies, right? Something about watching a movie multiple times. You pick up on things in the early parts of the movie that you didn't see in the, the, the latter part of the, the first time around. You see things happen, you're like, oh, that's what was going on there. Okay, now I see it. As you read the Scriptures, if you read it without understanding who Jesus is, it's very confusing. In fact, it gets quite blurry. It turns into kind of what the Pharisees and Sadducees had turned it into. But when you see who Jesus is, as the one who fulfills these things, the one who says, look, not a, not a word from my Father fades. Like flowers do, my word, my Father's word never fades. And you see Jesus come in and fulfill those things. It begins to make it come alive. Colossians chapter 2 says this. Go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. 
Colossians chapter 2 says this, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. All of the Old Testament is pushing towards understanding who Jesus is of what he does in his mission. It's the same message that Jesus, while he's with his disciples on the road to Emmaus, as he's walking with them after the resurrection, we read that beginning with the law and the prophets, he told them how all of those things spoke of him. So what's one of the main purposes of this authority of the Scriptures? So that we can see Jesus. You actually don't need a Jesus in the best version of what you can come up with. You're not creative enough. And I hate to say it, but you're not loving enough. The kind of love that God offers us in His Son is a love that is accessible to every single soul in this room at this moment. By trusting in His love for us, we begin to access this kingdom He's speaking about here. The kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, he's, we've just been talking about how I have access to him. What, what does that mean? Well, what Jesus is telling them is that their actions are not enough. You know, in my family, we all take turns loading the dishes, right? We all take turns unloading the dishes. And when I unload the dishes, this isn't everyone's practice in my family, but when I unload the dishes, I kind of look in the cup to make sure it's clean, right? And there are times where I look in the cup and I'm like, oops, there's my chocolate shake. It, the dishwasher didn't quite get it clean. Can you imagine if I said, but it's fine, and I just put it up in the cabinet? <laughs> so this has happened, right? We, Jamie and I, at times, will pull stuff out, and I'm like, oh, did we run the dishwasher? Like, you would never take dirty dishes and think, ah, I intended to clean it, but whatever. It's going in the, maybe you do if it's a really hard week. But in general, you run it again. You want it to be clean. Jesus is saying, for us to think, that we can be good enough or just get our act together or finally get serious spiritually. Like, this is 2022. I'm going to get serious about loving God. I'm going to put this together. To do that on your own power is just like cleaning the outside of the glass and ignoring the chocolate chips inside that are still there. He wants more. God doesn't just want different behavior. He wants your heart. So that's why he says, you know, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they were super good at following the law. That's how they got to keep their job. If they didn't do it, they didn't get to keep their job. So everyone knew they were righteous, and Jesus goes, that doesn't come close. Or think about it with parenting. If you're a parent, and your only goal is behavior modification with your children, like my goal is that you obey and do what you're supposed to, that works for a little while, but what if you lose their heart altogether? As a parent, that would kill us. It's not enough just for our kids to do what they're supposed to do, although just so you know, because you can't use this against me when your parents are disciplining you, I do think you should obey your parents at all times. I'm not saying you shouldn't. <laughs> Pastor Brad didn't say that. What I am saying to you kids and to us as parents is that when we're doing that thing called parenting, our goal is to win the hearts of our children with what? We love you. That's why this is happening. That's why this discipline's happening. That's why these directions are happening. That's why, the, that's why we're talking about this. Because ultimately, I cherish you so much. I want you to experience the good things of life. Jesus is saying here, it's not enough for you just to clean off the outside. I want more for you. I want, you ready? I want the kingdom of heaven for you. I want you to be able to know you are at peace with me. 
I want you to be able to take great hope in the fact, no matter what the authorities around you are telling you, that I have an authority of love over you that surpasses them all, and I'm inviting you into the message of grace. If you're someone who doesn't have it all figured together, figured out, like you don't have everything together, you're exactly the kind of person God wants to, you to, to know how much He loves you right now. That He has grace for you, forgiveness for you, renewal for you. You know, whatever it is, there's access to His law here. There's access to His word here. And Jesus is saying, I want to transform you. The Pharisees and Sadducees didn't like Jesus because they thought He was like too progressive. But actually, He's really traditional, right? I've not come to take away anything from the law and the prophets but I've come to fulfill them. If you want to know what God really wants from you this morning, it's this, to know the depths of who Christ is. That, that's part of, that's why we have the scriptures, for you to understand who Jesus is and, this is the second part of the authority applied to us, is to change us. Maybe you've heard this before, but sometimes people talk about how the Bible is a mirror and a window and a light. Have you heard this before? The Bible's a mirror because it shows us our hearts. It shows us our souls. What do I mean? Well, we're going to preach on this in the coming weeks. Let me just read you the first couple verses um, from Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You've heard it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. I think that's probably a good thing. Like if you're murdering people, I think that we should deal with that. But then he says this, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Jesus isn't saying murder and anger are the same thing. What he's saying is, is that the heart behind murder and the heart behind anger leads to the same place, away from God's love. God's inviting us into a place where we can confess our sins and know that he's gracious to us, but that we can see who we really are. Now, I remember when my daughter was like two years old with her cute little piggy tails and she was not obeying me and I raised my voice at her and I thought to myself, what kind of monster raises his voice at a two-year-old who won't do what she's supposed to with little piggy tails? This kind of monster. The one who needs God's grace. So the Bible is a mirror, but it's also a window. It lets us see into reality. We are a people visited by God and Jesus who has told us, if you will trust in me, if you'll trust in my ways, if you'll calibrate, calibrate off my truth, I have a kingdom of heaven for you. God is giving us access to that. So the Bible's a mirror, it's a window, and it's a light. It's a light for our path. You know, I wish God would give us spotlights. Wouldn't that be great for life? Where I could kind of shine it down about five years and go, what's going to happen down there? Like, that's the light I want. But it's a lamp unto our feet. Part of us learning to love God and love one another is to start with this and to say, okay, what does it then mean? What does it then mean for me to have faith in a God who loves me this much? What's that journey look like? Jesus is inviting us to go on it. Part of it is to acknowledge the authority of the Scriptures, the authority of who Christ is, and to begin to live into that. You know, there are people in this room who are very early in the faith. There are people in this room who have been walking with Jesus a long time. Every single one of us needs to revisit the reality of God's authority in His love for us every single day. So, let's talk for a couple seconds about the good kind of authority and the bad kind of authority for a second. What kind of authority is real? Well, I'll, I'll give you one example. Gravity. I don't care how strong you are, if you jump up in the air, you're going to fall back to the earth. Right? We submit to the authority of gravity. Or if you've ever been uh, in an earthquake before, I've been in an earthquake before, 
When you're in an earthquake, what you don't think is, oh, I got this. Let me just push this back together. We submit to the authority of nature or stand in the ocean and the waves beat against you. You, you can do it for a while, but not forever. We all submit to the reality of the authority of nature. Or what about the authority of humankind? You know, there's always going to be somebody who's smarter than you and stronger than you and prettier than you and better than you in some other area. If our value is wrapped up in where we rank in the world's assessment of certain things, it is a horrible God. Because basically, you're going to just crush everybody around you until you discover the fact that actually, there's someone with more. Like, what authority do you submit to? Jesus is inviting us to submit to an authority that's real. Again, if you go back to Colossians, read in chapter 1, we read that all things were created by Him and for Him and through Him. This is the one we serve. This is the one we love. And lastly, what's it mean for us to engage in this with our faith? Let me read to you from Romans chapter 10. Think about this. If the authority of who Jesus is is real, that means that when Jesus is on the cross and He says, it is finished, it is actually finished. There's no more wondering about your relationship with God. There's no more wondering if He can renew and restore you. Jesus says, it's finished. I've done what I've been sent to do, and now He moves towards resurrection. If that's real, the authority of that love is real, how do we begin to engage with it? Well, listen to Romans chapter 10, verse 4 and following. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. Quote, the person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend to the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is to, near to you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in Him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all all who call on Him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What does it mean for us to actively, this morning, engage in, in the authority of Jesus' love for us? It means for us to have faith. Faith that His promises are actually real. That His words are actually true. Now listen, even as a pastor, there are moments where I'm like, oh, is this really what God means? Or is this really true? I will tell you that the Holy Spirit strengthens you over time and it's a different kind of struggle as you get older but i remember early on especially as a christian thinking what if none of this is real that's the importance of god's work in your life as you continue to follow him he bolsters your faith and you begin to say well if i'm not going to trust this authority what authority am i going to trust this authority is saying if you want to have access to god's love if you want to have access to the greatest rescue that's ever happened it comes by faith Faith in what God has said. Faith in what Jesus has said. Faith in the Scriptures. Now let me close with this story. Ugh. We're close. Let me close with this story. If you haven't seen this yet, there's a movie called Rescue. And um, it's about the Thai soccer team that was stuck in a cave in 2018. 11 soccer players, one coach. Um, they were in a cave. And that, for us as Americans, we think, well, what were they doing in a cave? This is like a national park kind of thing. 
this huge, everybody goes and visits the cave. And they went to the cave a month before the monsoon season, which is appropriate um, because uh, once the monsoon season starts, no one goes in the cave. The, the government actually shuts it because it fills with water. Well, the monsoon season came a month early. And these boys are 2,000 plus meters into the cave. The waters begin to rise. They're trapped. I would say don't ruin it for you, but like this was like a national thing. You should know that they lived through this. Okay. But you should still see it. Um, the waters rise. The Thai Navy SEAL, they give up. They're like, we cannot get to them. And the Thai Navy SEAL are no joke. The U.S. Special Forces say, hey, we can't get there. And they finally call these five hobbyists who are experts in caving. And they go down and they save these boys and you should watch and it's beautiful. And they come out. What was remarkable to me, remarkable to me about this story, lots of things. But a couple things to note. There were over 5,000 people who were actively engaged in trying to save these boys. Whether it was diverting the water out of the cave or planning trips in or getting scuba tanks. All these other things they were doing. There was over 5,000 people involved. China was involved. Australia was involved. The UK was involved. The United States was involved. And a couple other countries but mostly from those places. They all worked together for this one purpose, to rescue. They had plenty of things going on in their lives. They abandoned it all to focus on this one thing because the rescue was the central, most important thing, and the result of it was beautiful. Like you, As you watch the film, it'll make you tear up. Do you understand? The entire point of the Scriptures is for us to understand the story of God's rescue. All of His resources all of his power, all of his patience, all of his kindness aimed right at us this morning so that we could understand that this is the starting point, okay? You can be right with me. You can be righteous before me simply by trusting in my grace. That, that's the requirement that gives you access. So my encouragement to you this year, because especially in our culture, we're very good at finding other things that define our meaning we're very good at finding other ways of proving if we're worthy to be loved or if people that we're really angry at are worthy of being loved. Start with where God starts, with grace. God's inviting us into something that leads to life. Let's trust him together this year. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for your grace. We read the Sermon on the Mount. We, we hear about your calling us to access this kingdom of heaven by trusting in your message and father i would pray for every single one of my brothers and sisters in this room this morning that wherever we are in our journey whether we're just starting or we've been at it a while that you would take the power of your grace and make it real for us again today that you would refresh us and renew us by the power of your grace that rescues us we ask all this in jesus name amen